0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on his yoke. We are pressing into his promise of true life. Peace be with you. Uh, my name is James Fields. I serve as the lead pastor here at Soldier and Church Carlisle, and it's a, indeed a great privilege and pl- uh, pleasure to gather together uh, together um, this morning in worship. So, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to continue in our series in Matthew. Really excited about what God is doing in the mission uh, through us as we study God's word in this great gospel. Um, this morning we'll be looking at Matthew <clears throat> chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. Um, You can find these words in your program, but I encourage you, have a Bible. Bring your Bible with you. Um, Open it up. Turn turn to these passages with me. Um, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. Um, And it reads as follows. It says, sorry, we got misplaced. Oh, there it is, sorry. Uh, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, <clears throat> sowed seeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants break, uh, excuse me, uh, came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in their field? Then where, then where did the seed, uh, weeds come from? An enemy did, did, did this, he said. So do, uh, do you want us to go and pull them up? The servant asked him. No, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and take them, tie them in a bundle to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown is taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and rest in its branches. He then told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. Verse 34, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. He did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret with the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the, his house. And his disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, those are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the ages. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather gather from his kingdom all who call sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Small things matter in the kingdom of God. I was trying to think of a good analogy to be able to kind of evoke this reality for us, and my mind honestly just couldn't um, think, it, think through it clearly. I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm not feeling well this morning or I just haven't been feeling well the last couple of days. Um, but uh, this image that I'm going to put on the screen right here is the best thing that I probably could have thought of from the 1980s movie, one of my actually favorite movies. Does anybody know what this is? Yeah, it's Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. Great, great movie. If you are too young to know what this is, go, uh, go Netflix it later today. Not right now, but later today. It would be great. And in this movie, we see this young man. His name is Daniel. He moves from, I believe, New Jersey, uh, the great state of New Jersey that we just moved from, to come here to this great state of Kentucky. And I believe he cr- uh, moves all the way across country to California. And when he comes to California as a new kid, he's having trouble. He's having trouble getting meeting friends, and he's getting bullied. Um, and he seeks the advice of this sage, if you will, um, Mr. Miyagi, to help him to fight. But as he goes to Mr. Miyagi and he asks him to help him, Mr. Miyagi has him do like these obscure things. He has him seemingly using Daniel to kind of do the chores around his house. He has him waxing on cars and, and painting on fences and doing all these obscure things every single day. And finally, Daniel says, you know what? I'm tired of being your personal chauffeur. Your personal..." Um, cleaner upper person, um, of of cleaning up everything. I'm tired of doing your chores for you, Mr. Miyagi. Tell me, what is all this for? Mr. Miyagi goes up to him, and he does something really interesting. He um, uh, starts to attack Daniel, and he tells him as he's attacking him, he's telling him the the things that he would tell him when he would clean. Wax on, wax off. So as he comes and punches, he says, wax on, and Daniel does this. He says, wax off, and he does this. And Daniel starts, at that moment, he starts to realize what Mr. Miyagi was doing. That all of the cleaning and all of the small matters that he had him go through actually was for a greater purpose. Actually had a deeper meaning. That he actually was learning the thing that he wanted to learn, but he was learning it in a different way. It's much like this aspect of um, the kingdom of heaven. We start off here in verse 24. It says, he presented another... Parable to them. Now, there's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. One is this what is a parable and why is it being used? So, a parable is simply this a parable is a long analogy often cast in the form of a story. And listen, parables were common in this time in the teaching in Judaism. It wasn't that Jesus was doing something new by using parables. But the way that Jesus constructed and used these parables to preach about, to teach about the kingdom of God, that was what was new and was so enticing. Remember, we saw this verse earlier, Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 is a hinged passage for the gospel of Matthew. Because from this point forward, after Matthew 12, 14, Jesus starts to preach in parables much more frequently than he did before, and this is the reason why. Matthew 12, 14 says this. It says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Talked about that a couple of months ago as we were going through the gospel of Matthew, that the stakes had started to rise up, that now it wasn't just about Jesus preaching and teaching, but now Jesus had to teach and preach in a certain way because now the people that were listening to him were going from hating him to actually wanting to murder him. So verse 24 begins, he says, he presented another parable to them about the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while we were sleeping, while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the... Plants sprouted and produced grain. Then the weeds also appeared. The landowner of service came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? G- uh, Jesus, uh, the, the, man, the man responds in verse 28, an enemy did this, he told them. I love this because it reminds us of some good aspects and good characteristics of our God. Because later in, verse 20, 20, uh, in, in verses 27 through 43, he actually explains this to us. In verse 37, he, he explains this parable to us. He says, "The one who sows a good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil." I love this because I think what God, what he's doing here is he's helping us to see and to understand some characteristics about God. The first thing that we see from verse 24 is this, is that God is not the author or the originator of evil. That our God is pure. He's pure in his intent, his intent towards us. He he doesn't, he hasn't created this world. um, He hasn't created this broken world um, for our brokenness. It's actually just the opposite, is that Jesus has come into our broken world to not just fix this broken world, but to also fix the brokenness within each one of us, amen? God is not the author or the originator of evil, and he explains it verse cl- very clearly in verse 28. He says this, an enemy did this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's so important for us to fight for the reality of how God reveals to us in Scripture that this world is broken not because of God, but this world is broken because of us. And we have to experience the brokenness of this world: death, suffering, injustice. Not because our God is not good, it's because sin itself and our choice of sin from through, through the lineage of Adam and Eve from the very beginning. That's what's not good, and the consequences that ensue. God is pure. He's not the originator of evil. Fight for that reality. There's some wrong views that we can have of God. We can think that he is good, but God's not powerful. God, you're a good God, but you're weak, and you can do nothing about the evil of this world. We can equate that much to a, 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 a picture of God being the old, older man and there's uh, the old grandpa in the rocking chair. He's good, but he's not helpful. And I said, I'm, don't take offense of that if you're an older grand, grandpa. Please don't take offense to that. Granddad's great to hang around. He's great to have jokes around. But, you know, if I need to lift something, I can't call on granddad because, you know, his body's not working like he used to. Don't think of God in that way. It's another way that we can falsely think about God is that he's powerful, but he's not good. That God is powerful enough to do and to change the brokenness of our world. But the problem with God is that he's not good. He doesn't care. He's the God who's created all this. He's allowed us to, to experience our brokenness, and he's somewhere far away doing his thing, not concerned about us, and just saying, you know what? You deal with the problem you created. Another false view that we can have of God is not just that he's good, but not powerful. Not just that he's powerful, but he's not good, but that God is good and powerful, but he's not wise. He's a careless God. God, you're good, you're powerful, but listen, (laughs) you're not wise enough to deal with the sin and the brokenness that that I'm experiencing in my life. I'll give you those three three examples, not because I want to um, just kind of harbor on those things, but these are tendencies and thoughts and notions that we all battle with. In our, our, our experiences of this brokenness of this world, we have an enemy that's causing us to think about our God wrongly. But look how he has called us to see him. Verse 25, he says, but While we were there, we're sleeping. The enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he left. I hope and pray that our attention as this church would not be on God and wouldn't be on one another, but it would be on where the focus should be on, which is the enemy. Pray against the enemy. Pray against his work. Pray against his kingdom. Don't fight with one another. Don't look to your spouse. Don't look to your children. Pray that God's hand would abate and stop the power and authority of the enemy. Put your focus where God wants it, not on him, not on one another, but the enemy, because God is greater than our enemy. Amen? And he is the one who has caused Satan to not just be defeated, but ultimately he will be destroyed under the power, under the authority of Christ, and actually, the representation of the church is where the manis- where is the wisdom of God is being displayed for the world and even for the kingdom of Satan himself. He trembles in fear as we look to follow and obey the commands of our God. Amen. Not only is our God pure, but look with me in verse twenty nine. He's also patient. He says, no. They asked him a question. They said, so do you want us to go and and pull them up, pull, pull out these weeds? He said, no, for when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, let both grow together. Check this out. Until the harvest. Let them grow. So our God is not only pure, but our God is also patient. One thing that we need to understand about these weeds is this. Is that the weeds were actually what they call in the ancient time, um, d- darnel or d- darnel, which is, it, it was it looked so much like wheat, and it was often used um, to um, expose or to harm other people's crops in the ancient time, in this time, this Greco-Roman time. It was so bad that actually in the Roman Empire, it was illegal to take this darnel and put it in someone's field because it would absolutely just wreck their field and their harvest. The thing about this Darnell is that it looks like wheat from the very beginning, its seed looks just like the wheat, but you can't tell the difference until they start growing together. They look the same, same substance, same color, same character, but you can't tell the difference until they start growing together not only that, but it also was poisonous. And I love this in verse 27. That's is what he says. No, verse 29, because when you pull up the weeds, you might also up the wheat with them. You see, our God does not just wink at evil in our world, but he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Amen. I love how 2, Tim, 2 Peter says this, Second Peter chapter 3 puts it this way, verse 9. It talks about this the beauty of Christ. <clears throat> it says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some might understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone or any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Honestly, sometimes I wish God wasn't patient, especially in my trials, especially in my tribulations. Man, through all of the troubles and trials that I've experienced in my years, I find myself saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. I need you to rescue me from this body of death, from this brokenness of this world. And you should pray those prayers. Don't hear me say you shouldn't pray those prayers. But as you pray those, those prayers, you also need to realize that our God is a patient God. And his patience is worth, his, his patience, um, is worth um, your patience. Because he knows what he's doing through it all. The, thing, the beautiful thing about this Darnell and this wheat and the weeds is that only God knows the difference. Notice a problem here. The problem is not the, seed, the, 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 the weeds being sown among the wheat. The problem is that the harvesters, that the harvesters, um, with the harvesters, not with the wheat. He says, listen, If I send you out prematurely, you may send somebody somewhere where they don't need to go. (laughs) Because our God is patient with us, and he knows what it takes for us to come with him. I love this because it reminds us time and time again that our God is a God not just of patience, but he also is a God of mercy. That even though today you maybe have a rebellious heart towards the Lord, through his mercy and through his patience, today might be the day of salvation for you. To make, today might be the day that you turn and you place your faith in Jesus. I've seen this in my own eyes, in my own family. I have a, a grandfather-in-law who refused to come to my wife's wedding because of us being different racial colors, being an interracial marriage. And he refused to come. And he told her from the very beginning, if you marry him, you're sowing death into our family. And it hurt. And I didn't know how to respond. But I said, Lord Jesus, you got to take this because this is too big for me. He was an unbeliever all the way up into his life, really up into the two weeks before his, his passing. And I never forget, I never forget. I went to his funeral seeing him for the first time because he refused to see me or acknowledge me as a human being. And it was sad to me because I got the man who I knew my, my, my wife loved and looked up to for so many years. this is my first time meeting him in a casket. My heart was broken. But here's God's mercy. A cousin comes up to me and says. Hey, are you James Fields, Kate? Yeah, I'm James. How you doing? Hey, I got a word from Jack. Jack was the person who passed away. He he just wanted you to know that two weeks ago, his girlfriend led him to Christ. And he accepted Jesus, and he wanted me to tell you, and he was telling me before he passed away, that guess what? If he's a servant of the Lord, he's all right with me. And those words, man, healed me in a way that I, I, I didn't even know I needed to be healed, to be honest with you. It was a beautiful reminder that God's patience, that, excuse me, God's process is worth our patience. That even when we don't understand, and even when we can't comprehend, and even when we disagree with the process God is taking us through, his, the process is worth our patience. Because he knows what he's doing in the end. Beloved, don't, don't get Don't get bored with God's patience in your life. Don't get, God, don't get bored with God's patience in general. God is patient for a reason, and He knows how to orchestrate and to allow things to line up, not in your timing, not in your doing, but in His. And one of the best things you can pray to the Lord during your trying seasons, and I'm looking at you right now, I know some of you are going through some trying season right now, but one of the best things you can do as a follower of Jesus is say, God, here's my will, here's my plans, edit it as you please. And give me the courage, Father, to trust you in the midst of that editing, to know and to rest in the knowledge that you are in control of all things. You see, because the, the temptation is Is that we would think our God is a powerful God, but he's not a good God. He doesn't see me where I am. He doesn't know what I'm going through, but he does. He does. And he works all things out for his glory and our good. Amen? Amen. If it wasn't so confusing to bring this parable of the kingdom about the wheat and the weeds, he then continues to give two more complexing parables, looking at starting at verse 31. Let's look at this parable with me. It says, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now, you guys know this probably from Sunday school, that The mustard seed, right, is the smallest, if not the smallest, one of the smallest seeds known to man, mankind. But notice the difference here. Notice how this small thing has an incredible impact. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like something that starts small, but something that grows to something incredible. It starts small. It starts in the hiddenness of uh, from, from everything else or anyone else. No one probably doesn't even know that it's planted in the soil. No one probably even w- would, would even expect much from this small seed. But out of it comes a tree that's so large that God's very creation can come and find rest in its branches. See, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times specifically in the Bible, and the kingdom of heaven is only mentioned in Matthew um, in this way as being the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven is this, it's defined as this, it is the range of God's effective will, where what he wants done is done. It's life with God, it's life under God's management. And what he's trying to get us to understand, and what he's trying to get us to see that the kingdom of God is growing and nothing will stop it nothing will come we'll will, will be able to stop it but mysteriously two things will always happen it will be opposed but its growth will is all will always be inevitable and the second thing is, is that it will not come with great fanfare when it is recognized by the world yet it will grow effectively and fully taking over the very world that refuses to recognize it look at verses 31 um, 31 and 32 with me. It will be opposed, but its growth is inevitable. He says, the kingdom, of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden, plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Verse 33 continues. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. I don't know about you. I've never seen 50 pounds of flour, but that's a lot of flour. And just like the mustard seed that starts small, leaven starts small in a lump of dough, yet it will rise this whole batch of 50 pounds of dough that God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven will have effect, is having effect in this world, even if you can't see it. And even if you can't understand it, and even if you can't comprehend it, God's word will go forth and it will not come back to him void. Thus says the Lord. I love what Pastor Lyle taught us last week when he came and preached. He was talking about how the word. Uh, we talked about the parable of the sower and the seed, and he was talking about how he seemed like he was kind of throwing it out kind of haphazardly, but maybe he wasn't just throwing it kind of laissez-faire, but maybe he was throwing it out generously. <laughs> that Jesus, as, as he was sowing the seed, he was throwing seed. At, uh, he, was a bad, he was a bad aimer. He, couldn't, he couldn't, didn't have a really good aim because the seed went everywhere. It went on the wayside. It went on the thorns. It went everywhere. that sh- It shouldn't have really gone. But maybe that reminds us of the generousness of our God, his grace that he extends to us. That even in areas that we would expect it not to grow, it still has the ability to grow. But one thing that he said last week that really impacted me was that he was talking about the power of the word. He was talking about the word of God, and he was just saying how, how, how the word of God is powerful, yet it's small. It will have its effect. And it's nothing that can deter it. By his word, God has created everything that we see and experience. He's created us. He's created his creation. And in Genesis, we're reminded that he created it in a special way. He created it out of nothing. He didn't use a construction. He didn't have a tonka truck with him or, or a conveyor belt or anything. He didn't have wood. He didn't have mortar. He created everything by the power of Of his word. God's word is powerful. That's why we come each week to listen. That's why we come this week to be examined. That's why we come every week to to hear from God's word because God's word has an eternal effect in our lives. That is life-changing. I remember as a kid that, there was a concept that I quite didn't understand growing up was this word of God, how powerful it is, and how God's word changes everything. And honestly, I didn't believe it until I had to depend on that word for, for myself to save me. See, I 16 years old. <clears throat> I almost lost my life in a, in a tragic gang fight trying to protect a friend from a bunch of bullies. And as I was literally surrounded by grown men, 30, 40, 50 years old, the only thing I could think about was not how I'm gonna fight these men, because as a 16-year-old teenager, there's no way I'm gonna fight grown men. But the only thing I could think about was God's word. And I cried out to God in my, the most humblest way I knew how, and I said, Father, I need you to save me from this wreck, this, this, this situation. Father, I cry out to you. Never cried out to God before in in, in a real honest way. But it's funny that when (laughs) there are no atheists in foxholes, amen, that when you need God and when you're put in a situation where only God can be your rescue, it's funny how the things that we thought about and we saw was true for somebody else, it automatically becomes true for us. And in that moment as a 16-year-old boy, I don't know what happened because I blanked out. I thought I was dead, but when I woke up in the pool of my own blood, I was alive. And all I could say was thank you, Jesus. You saved me. You heard my cry. You came to my rescue when no one else in the world could. I pray that we wouldn't just talk about the word of God, but we allow the word to have the powerful effect it's always has meant to and has been given to for us to have in our lives. That it is small. I couldn't use a lot of words in that time, losing my life. I didn't have a long prayer. I couldn't remember all the books of the Bible. Could barely remember my own name at the time. But one thing I did know was that God was a Savior. And the reason I knew he was a Savior was because I heard, I heard, I heard about the testimonies in the church, how other people cried out to God in their suffering. And in their hardships, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If it worked for you, it may just work for me too. Brothers and sisters, I'm standing before you today to tell you it works. God's word works. He's a God who loves us. He's a God who's came to be near us and die for us and be resurrected for us and coming again for us. The word of God works. I know you may not understand it. I know you may not see it. I know your marriage may still be jacked up. Your kids still acting up. I know your your future career is still oblivious. You don't have clear understanding of where your next steps will be. But I can guarantee you this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will last through eternity. Trust his word. Trust his word. Verse 34, it says, Jesus showed the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable. Verse 35, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things, uh, things kept secret from the foundation of the world. This is a hard thing for us to see, but <clears throat> as we said earlier, the characteristics of God, that God is pure that God is patient. We also see that God is impartial, that final judgment is only reserved for him, that we are not to place final judgment on anyone because at any moment, at any time, someone can be saved and turn their life to Jesus. But here we see the fourth P, see God's prerogative. We see that the spiritual blindness that he has provided, that the spiritual blindness is the natural consequence of our own unbelief, and rebellion. You know, a lot of people talk about, a lot of people talk about the thing about God is, the bad thing about God is when God comes on you or he comes near you. But I, I (laughs) I, I don't believe that. I think the worst thing that God can do is not put his hands on you. The worst thing that God can do for you is to take his hands off of you, to take his hands from you. That's the worst thing. And this spiritual blindness is a sign and, and a, and a physical, um, physical reminder of God taking his hands off of his people and off of um, people who, because of their own natural consequence of their own unbelief and their own rebellion, that God actually backs away from them. It pictures two things. It pictures, one, a sign of judgment. They can't see the only thing that can bring them life. So there is an act of judgment that God has done, that he takes his hands off of those who have willfully uh, rebelled and who have realf- willfully walked in unbelief before him. But you know what? It's also a sign of mercy. It's a sign of mercy because they can't see, so they can't be held accountable. You see, the more you see and the more you know of God, the more that you understand about him, you will be held accountable for the knowledge that God has exposed himself and given himself for you to believe and to see. You see, by God's taking his hands off of them and speaking to them to parables, yes, it was a sign of judgment, but it was also an act of mercy. So they can't be held accountable any more than they already were held accountable by seeing the word made flesh before their very eyes. It's a good reminder for us That spiritual truth is a gracious gift of God, that he has sovereignly bestowed upon us as his followers and as his children. And we see that in verse 36. Notice what he says. When he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. People that he's speaking to in parables have rejected him. They don't understand. They don't comprehend. But his disciples come and say, listen, Explain to us what you just said. It's a good reminder for all of us that we can't know God apart from God, that God has to reveal himself to us. God has to show himself to us for us to know God. We have to be, uh, have a teachable spirit before him To say, God, I may not fully understand, I may not fully comprehend. Honestly, I may not fully agree on what you're doing right now, but Father, I need you to give me insight and understanding to know what you are talking about or what you're doing in my life right now. Honestly, I believe that we don't ask God enough questions. Ask God, ask God, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Father, this hurts. Do you not understand? Father, I, we, we, we need you. Why haven't you shown up? Love this. They went to Jesus in pure humility, pure strength, and pure humility, pure transparency. Say, Jesus, I don't get it. Explain it to us. See, God is not just a pure God. Not, God is not just a patient God. He's not just an impartial God. He's not just a God who has his own prerogative, but God is also a God who loves to hear your questions. He's a God that can be trusted with your deep and most intimate questions. He's a God that, that is waiting for you to ask him, to seek him, to know him and ask him to explain to you, Father, what what is going on right now? Maybe the reason why you haven't gotten an answer is because you haven't presented the question to God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go to your father. He loves you. He cares for you. Father, why? Why? Why, why can't we have children in the season of our life, Father? Why, why, why? So much suffering going on right now, Father. Why is there so much hardship, Father? Why can't I? I see everyone else experiencing you, knowing you. I can't. I can't. That's not true for me. Why, God? What's what's going on right now, God? I, I don't know. Why am I so numb? To the word of God, when it's preached every Sunday, I just feel like it has no effect on me. God, what's going on? Reveal, help me see. A lot of times we think we're waiting on God, but a lot of times God may be waiting on us. Love verses 37 through 43, because it reminds us at the very end, he says, let anyone who has ears listen. This is a word that's not just to be shared, but it's a word to be heeded and to be obeyed. It's a good word of reminding us that this is um, not just talking about a weed and wheat, but it's talking about the eschatological purposes that God has for our world. I love how David Platt puts it in his book, Exalting Christ in Matthew. He says it this this way. He says, The idea of small beginnings leading to imaginable expansion fits what we've already seen in Matthew's gospel. The story began with a baby in a manger and a sheep and cattle. Then Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were virtually exiled to Egypt before arriving in tiny Nazareth of all places. Now in Matthew 13, Jesus is gathered with a small handful of disciples sitting around him, a weak and up group. However, in the days to come, this unimpressive collection of men would begin to turn the world virtually upside down, so much so that they are impacted by their witness 2,000 years later and thousands of miles away. We are, are part of the same kingdom, they proclaimed, a kingdom that God is continuing to expand, and I put in, in, in brackets there, through us, through us, this small, minute seed, this small, minute leaven through us, through the, through the church of the live one true living God, the kingdom of God is continuing to expand. Amen? A lot of times we can come to a neighborhood like this in Jacob's, the Jacobs neighborhood or Wyandotte community, and we can look at all the depravity and we can look at all the brokenness. And we could think, man, God, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? And the answer is simply huh. if we want to see this community change, <clears throat> it's not just looking to the community, but it's looking to the embodied, being the embodiment of Jesus to this community. That we will be, by God's grace, the hands, the feet, and the means by which this community will see, experience, and find love um, through through Jesus. That every hand shaken, every every person greeted, every person hugged, every person loved is a reminder of God's great love for them in Jesus. Every meal served, every conversation had, Every time we take time to clean up our property and even the property around us, that is a living expression of Jesus making himself known to this community. Jesus cannot be known in his community without us embodying the gospel that we proclaim. That's not on the community, that's on us. And we have to stop looking to them or looking to the brokenness around us And blaming them for the brokenness we see because God has called us as the church to embody and to inhabit and to affect change to allow the gospel to affect change within us so that we can affect change in this community I just came from Princeton University it was one of God's greatest blessings to me and also one of God's greatest curse to me it was one of God's greatest blessings because I saw as a young kid from Detroit, Michigan, who had a desire to go into inner city uh, ministry from the very beginning of my ministry 20 years ago, I saw that the gospel is needed at every single aspect of this country. That as much as Princeton is the number one small town in America and greatest as the university is and all the people that are there, that there is still brokenness, there's still hardship, there's still a need for the gospel, especially in places like that. And it's no different. It's no different. How did we reach, how was I and my family able to reach the gospel in Princeton is the same way we'll do it here by allowing the gospel to change us, to grow us, to conform us more and more to the image of Jesus and not look to ourselves to change that community but look to say, God, use me as you wish. Open my mouth, open my eyes, give me opportunity to serve the people that you've placed around me for the for the glory of your name and for the good of your people we're reminded that at the cross we learn that god uses what's ugly to make something beautiful if you are a christian here today this is a good story for us to be reminded that he who began a good work in you he will be faithful to complete into the day of christ i know it may not look good right now i know you may not understand what god is doing in your life But just like the kingdom of God comes in the small mustard seed, and just like the kingdom of God can be compared to leaven, and just like the kingdom of God can be compared to wheat, so God is allowing the small matters of your life, the small gospel, to have eternal fruit through his son Christ Jesus. Amen? For those who don't believe, this is an urgent call. It's an urgent call to come and be aligned with God's kingdom. Come in line, be aligned with God's word and God's people. Come and be aligned with the forgiveness that God has given us through His Son Jesus. I don't know about where you were last Sunday, but <clears throat> last Sunday was a really hard Sunday for me, especially with the uh, notice we were sitting with the family after church at our home having a great time, and all of a sudden I see on my phone this message that. Um, One of my favorite people and people I really looked up to growing up, Kobe Bryant, had passed away. (coughs) But it just wasn't the fact that he passed away, it was how he passed away, which was a helicopter crash. Probably the most, one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. One of the most people that I saw as probably being the most invincible person that I knew. He had a resolve and he had just a, a drive that was just admirable in every way that Kobe Bryant, this giant of a man, would die in such a way. And as I was sitting with my kids and talking about Kobe and talking about his life, you know, we started crying and weeping, and my my kids started crying, and I'm looking at them like, why are you crying? And they looked at me, and they said, you know, you didn't grow up with Kobe. You didn't know him. And they just said, you know what? I'm not just crying for him because they were crying for also his daughter who passed away. Um, Gigi and my 11-year-old looked at me and said, yeah, Daddy, that could have been me. She said, yeah. She said, Daddy, tomorrow's not promised to us, is it? I said, no, sweetie, it's not. It's not. That's why every day we want to be able to, to enjoy the gift of today that God has given us, but also to know that today is a day for salvation. Today is a day that we place our, we don't, tomorrow's not promised. Next Sunday is not promised to us. Next hour, next week is not promised to us. But today is the day that we can look to Christ once again, maybe the thousandth time, and finally place our trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you and praise you for being a good father and king. Thank you, God, that you do take the small, seemingly, useless, minute things in this life, and you cause them to have incredible impact. Father, take the preaching of my word, the words that I've spoken today, and pray that you bless them. I pray that you would help me to decrease as you continue to increase. Thank you, God, for the gift it is to know you and be known by you through Christ. Father, I ask for anyone under my sound of my voice right now who in their heart of hearts don't know you that, Father, they would turn and see you as the glorious, good God and King that you are. Father, first of all, that they will see you as being pure. You are good. There's no ill intent within your fiber or being. Father, that we can praise you that you are patient with us, and your process is worth our patience. That though we don't understand what you're doing, we can trust the process you're taking us through. Father, I do pray that you would help us to all hide under and be found under um, the banner of Jesus and not have our sins accounted for in hell throughout eternity, but to be forgiven at the cross of Calvary. And you do that even now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr. Lead Pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.